This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. It's uh, accelerated solvent extracts of kratom leaves, evaluation of its psycho- cytotoxicity and antinociceptive activity. And uh, this is a study by a team uh, at um, University of Science in Malaysia. Um, mm-hmm. And this is basically about a, a new extraction method that they're trying on kratom. And this is probably, you know, for labs and stuff. But since they said it's um, more cost-effective and less time-consuming, it might um, carry over into the commercial world right. um, yep. of making extracts. And this, there's just a whole extraction an issue about extracts. Um, uh, there's uh, full-spectrum extracts, which are all the alkaloids in the kratom leaf that are extracted down. Um, that's one type. And then there are extracts extracts that are just mitragynine or just mitragynine and 7-hydroxy. Um, there's a lot of st- stuff going on. I, I hear a lot of stuff about extracts in the kratom world, about how uh, some companies are just extracting 7-hydroxy and then putting that extract in the kratom leaf to make it stronger um uh there's uh there's been some rumors of uh kratom vendors that are outsourcing their extraction methods to china and they're coming back with uh traces of chloroform and methanol uh chloroform mm-hmm. and methanol are two common extraction methods and i think in everything not just kratom i'm just kind of mm-hmm. learning about this um but what they're doing here is uh, this study highlights, this is a quote, this study highlights the utilization of the green accelerated solvent extraction technique to produce a better non-toxic and antinociceptive active botanical extract of kratom. So it's kind of like Indeed. they are using uh, solvents. Uh, in this study, they use methanol, ethanol, ethyl acetate, and they just use a water for one, um, but they're finding that using this method, they're not. Uh, it's not resulting in any kind of uh, toxicity being left over. Well, and so the accelerated solvent extraction technique ASE has been around in the botanical space for a long time, and then the, mm-hmm. the green at the front of that just differentiates essentially that we're not using chloroform or some other sort of environmentally toxic or contaminated uh, chemical, which is uh, presumably, you know, the original, uh, these techniques are used in almost all of botanical extraction and have been around as long as sort of botanical medicines have been around. Um, But the use of like water, ethanol, um, and the ethyl acetate, those are at least compounds that are less toxic or potentially uh, environmentally uh, pollutants. Yeah, and it says um, uh, ASE and speciosa extract had a dry yield and showed a constant mitragynine content, 
when extracted with organic solvents of different polarities. It only requires a shorter extraction, extraction time, five minutes, and a reduced amount of solvents, less than 100 milliliters. Um, so that's why I'm thinking, I'm, I'm wondering why they haven't, I mean, it looks like, um, this is the first time they tried this method on Kratom as far as, um, they've said for the first time the mm-hmm. ASC technique was employed to extract the Kratom leaves. So I guess that's why it's not being used commercially. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that they mentioned, um, I think maybe it's in the discussion or something, but they're essentially okay. saying extracts used for preclinical purposes um Mm -hmm. and so the ase the accelerated solvent extractor equipment in labs like i'm looking at one from thermo fisher right now um they say that they can accommodate samples of one to 100 grams and allows unattended extraction of up to 24 samples um, and uses less solvent um so your your it's the scale is we want to just get um some amount of extract to then be used like they did in the animal models or in the laboratory. Um, And I'm sure that these uh, accelerated solvent extractor equipment, you know, is between five and 10 grand, if not more than that, way more than that. And so um, I think that they're primarily focused, like I mentioned on the preclinical stuff. If you were wanting to do this in a commercial application, you would have to get a machine that is like, you know, a hundred grams is the max on this, this bench top one from, from uh, Thermo Fisher. You would want one that does like a hundred kilos in a commercial setting. And not mm. to say that they don't exist, but it, I think my point here is just that this is, they intended it for preclinical models and the lab equipment that you have to do for this particular ASE protocol is pretty expensive. You know, I would say out of the reach of uh, backyard chemistry or hobby hobbyist chemist. Yeah, and speaking of, I sent you a link to this guy that does, uh, I think it's called um, uh, Poor Man's Chemist or something, Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. he did an extraction in his backyard, which I would not try at all, Uh, but it was pretty interesting, but I think he did use chloroform. Um, Mm -hmm. So, what... Do you know a lot about chloroform? All I know about chloroform is if you're in a movie and you want to knock somebody out, you put a little bit of that on a handkerchief and run up behind them. <laughs> um, but yeah. apparently, I mean, is it is it dangerous to use in, stra- in extractions for uh, like consumable products? Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not good. Um, I mean, it's. It's not a very complicated molecule, but it's a lot, it's like similar to chlorine in some ways. And so in all chloroform packages, there's like hazardous labels, biohazard. I think that, you know, if it doesn't just start messing with your like fundamental biology and causing problems, if it's the chlorine in there, then you're going to disinfect like your entire stomach and all the bacteria in there. Um, and that also wouldn't be very good. Um, I'm pretty sure, and I'm, I'm just scanning real quickly uh some sites here but i'm pretty sure that if you have too much chloroform you can end up going blind oh wow um, and that might be that might be methanol i might be getting it confused with methanol um but it certainly i think it was something that was used back in the day um because it would get the people sort of knocked out so like in an anesthetic sense um, but I think the margin of safety is, is much lower. And when they, when they got better, you know, um, better, uh, chemicals to be able to do that anesthetic, uh, anesthesiology, they went ahead and did it. 
Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, like I mean, this is just hearsay, but I've heard it from a few people that are paying attention to it that there's certain companies that are supposed to be GMP. They're like larger vendors that are uh, like outsourcing mm-hmm. outsourcing their extracts to China, and then they come back with toxic amounts of chloroform on them. Chloroform as an incapacitating agent has become widely recognized, bordering on cliche. <laughs> yeah, really. In criminal fiction um and they're saying it's nearly impossible to incapacitate someone in chloroform with the whole rag over the mouth manner because you have to inhale it for about five minutes uh in order to render a person unconscious and it you know i'm just reading wikipedia here but um that's interesting <laughs> yeah and and there was a lot of there's a study in 2016 um that the university of florida did uh, Dr. Sharma and McCurdy um, that found that a lot of Kratom products, I don't even know if they're necessarily extracts. It might have been extracts at that point, but they were finding that there was an ex- excess amount of 7-hydroxymetragene that occurs in the leaves and uh, that there was uh, like a chloroform use of to extract. I guess they would extra- make an extract and then re-add it to the leaves. There can be trace amounts left over um, from these type of extraction processes and um, even in even in trace levels it's not something that you want to be consuming. I mean it's it's kind of like when we talk about heavy metals in the extracts um, but you know the, the toxic solvents like the the, uh, the chloroform or the methanol uh, can can cause serious health problems. So it's definitely a problem to have have those organic solvents in inside of any sort of extract uh, moving forward. Also in this study, they were talking about uh, other than uh, alkaloids, the uh, phytochemical groups uh, like flavonoids, um, tri- triterpenoids, saponins, and glycosides. But I even looked up the definition of a lot of these, like flavonoids, or uh, are in almost almost all fruits and vegetables, and they're responsible for uh, the colors um, and their antioxidants. Saponin, saponin, uh, they're referred selectively as triterpene glycosides, and uh, they're bitter tasting, usually toxic plant derived organic chemicals that have a foamy quality when agitated in water. Uh, glycoside is a compound found in simple sugar. You know, with the extracts, they, they kind of measured levels of all that, too. Um, I, th- well, I think in general, you know, there's the alkaloids, and then most everything you just mentioned are, like, a type of terpenoid. Like, if, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, a flavonoid is a type of terpenoid, but I think it's... I thought it was more, you know, color, yes, antioxidant activity, yes, but it also was like uh, they named them flavonoids because it gave the sort of tasting versus a terpene that would be smelling, uh, flavonoids would be tasting. Um, but, yeah, so we're talking about, you know, basically terpenoid, terpene-like compounds and uh, as well as uh, simple sugars. So would, like, an aqueous extract be uh, kratom tea? Would that be because you're using water to extract stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure that's not exactly what they did here what i just did with my tea this morning but an aqueous solution or an aqueous ex- 
extract is essentially uh, a, some sort of, it, it's when the solvent is water and it, and it has, so you, generally you can have like an aqueous layer and a lipid layer or an oil layer. And so stuff that's dissolvable in water would go to the aqueous layer versus the hydrophobic compounds, which would go into the, the oil-like layer. And they also did um, methanol, ethanol, uh, ethyl acetate. You know, it's something at the beginning that I thought was interesting. I don't know if you've come across this before, but they referred to Kratom as Korth, K-O-R-T-H. Have you heard that before? Yeah, that that refers to the um, the guy who discovered it, Korthals. I think uh, that's the whole, full name, Mitragena spe- speciosa Korth. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So Korthals was the name of the guy who actually... The first white guy who discovered it, <laughs> who was a scientist, <laughs> basically. I, th- yeah, I think he was uh, Dutch. Or it's... First white guy that wrote about it. It's so true. It's yeah. too true. So that's what, so he put his, slapped his name on it. <laughs> he called it. He could have called it Mitrogena Speciosa Thai or something like that, mm-hmm. or the country where it was from, or... The name of the guy who like showed him what it was. <laughs> right, right, but yeah, exactly. The it's guy that Doctor Corthels. So it says the toxic organic solvents, and they mean methanol and chloroform, are labor intense, have longer extraction times and low extraction yields. Uh, these problems can be overcome by using modern advanced green extraction techniques. Uh, we kind of, we kind of um, talked about that. Um, well, I think the um, the labor intensive part. I think what makes ASE um, like a core element of the ASE is that it's putting the um, like the leaf matter or whatever you're extracting from under pressure, um, and so it's forcing the solvent like into whatever you're extracting from, and so I I would guess that you know if you use the chloroform or the methyl. Um, the the methyl uh, solvents. If you put it under pressure, they would still be able to achieve a rapid extraction procedure. So it's not necessarily that, and there may be some other like physical chemistry dangers of putting chloroform into a you know pressurized controlled vessel. Um, but I think it's the it's dangerous to handle. It's dangerous to store. It does take longer if you were just to let the plant material like seep in it and stir it every few hours. Um, but I think even more than that, the potential residue or trace um, leftovers that are in the extracted, like in the extracted solution, are the are the biggest problem with those solvents. Yeah, and it's almost like it should should be a law that they only um, extract with, especially on a commercial level where you're trying mm-hmm. to put out product. Like you're not in a lab trying to get the best extraction you can get. You're you're trying to you know sell stuff and do it as quickly as possible for as low a cost as possible. Um, it probably might be good to not allow them to use methanol or chloroform um well it's, well, it's kind of like cannabis extracts i mean right you got to use either um co2 propane uh, butane or a, a no solvents you know a non-solvent like a, a pressure and temperature with rosin um i think that it may be the case that there are some plants or some alkaloids that just don't are not really able to be extracted using sort of like you know ethanol or water and i'm surprised with how how i've seen kratom act in water that water actually worked um 
I think it has to do with the pressure, the pressure in there, and like forcing the solvent into the pores of the what, the sample that is going to be extracted. And, and that, that's extracted. the technique. I was just looking at what they're actually doing. That's different, using elevated pressure to increase the contact area with analyte by forcing the solvent into the pores of the sample matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Analyte means the substance or the thing that they're analyzing, right? That's pretty much that you're collecting. So the matrix yeah. is like everything that the target analytes are in the analyte is what you're trying to recover so in cannabis like the sample matrix would be the plant and the flower material and all the stuff that goes into that simple sugars and the analyte would be thc so in our case it's um metragenine or 7 hydroxy metragenine and it's yeah it says the green solvents water ethanol ethyl acetate are more preferred by industries due to their low toxicity safeness and environmentally friendly properties by that they just mean like methanol is a fossil fuel so is that is that what they meant well, by and you don't necessarily have to like so the safetyness is like how safe your workers are in just handling mm-hmm. and using it but then the environmental friendly has a lot to do with proper disposal procedures and so with methanol you have to um, you know get it put it in a special container give it to a specialized uh, trash you know pickup company uh, or deactivate it in some way whereas you don't necessarily have to go through all those extra steps with water ethanol or ethyl acetate um, ASC MEO that's methanol and ethanol kratom leaf extracts showed higher IC50 values against uh, the kidney cell line and the liver cell lines um, however the mitragenine st- Standard had lower IC50. So what do they mean by IC50? Yeah, so um, they did the extraction and they measured it in multiple ways. So like different times, different uh, extractions. Um, then they moved on to the cytotoxicity. So is is this, are these extracts showing any toxicity towards, and they use these liver cells as a, a mortalized line of, of liver cells and pull up exactly it was what were the acronyms for those two um hek 290-293 that was the kidney and mm-hmm. ha, ha, hela chang liver cell lines gotcha um so ic50 generally stands for inhibitory constant um but it's sort of like um uh, LD50, lethal dose 50. Yeah. And so it's basically the dose in which 50% of the cells that you're looking at are either inhibited or uh, stop functioning or are destroyed. Um, so it's generally, you know, they, they go with the 50% range because they don't, they want to set up uh, 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 like a dose threshold that says this is where like it starts causing at least bad effects in 50% of whatever it's being exposed to. You definitely want to stay below that. And it says, thus, all of the ASC kratom leaf extracts were found to be non-toxic, which uh, IC50 is greater than 500 microgram per milliliter uh, towards the liver cell lines. And so they use that doxorubicin, which is known to be toxic to these liver cells and kidney cells. And so you can see that it was... uh, only like an 80 micromolar concentration of this of this chemical that ended up killing the kidney cells and the liver cells, whereas uh, the extracts were all uh, well above the 500 micro micrograms per milliliter concentrations, except for the metragenine, which seemed a little bit lower. Um, but it, it seems to suggest, in terms of its toxicity, kidney cells and liver cells, that these extracts are even safer than pure metragenine itself. 
even the methyl one and but they did not they didn't use chloroform in this one then they measured the extracts on these cell lines and then they actually did them in uh swiss albino mice using a uh, hot hot plate and tail flick tests which we mm-hmm. talked about these tests in other episodes um they had a similar onset time of antinociceptive action with morphine. The similar onset time is essentially, so they, they yeah. administered these extracts, um, and then for control, they had a vehicle, which is no active comp- compounds, just sort of the saline solution that they're carrying uh, the extracts. And then they also used morphine. And so they dosed them, and then 30 minutes after the dosing, they started performing the tests. And in these tests, the longer latency um, until you like flick your tail or you lick up, lift up your paw or lick your paw. So however long, the longer you wait to do any of those things in response to the, the stimulus or the heat, um, presumably the longer or the better acting opiates uh, is at killing your pain. So longer latency, more pain killing activity. And so, yeah, you can see that basically 30 minutes after um, the extracts increase the latency in a way similar to morphine. And then after 30 minutes, morphine had the highest latency and it continued that way um, over the course of 60 minutes, 90 minutes and 120 minutes. Um, whereas, you know, real close to that was the uh, ethanol extract and the acetyl uh, acetyl acetate extract in terms of the profile and increasing the latency uh, for those responses. Okay, yeah, and I'm looking at table six now. It's it's like the compounds, and they measure all the compounds in the extracts, mm-hmm. and it seems like as far as that goes, they're all pretty much the same. Um, like, for example, my tragenine, it's uh, uh, 7.44 in the aqueous, uh, 7.34 in the methanol, 7.34 in the ethanol, Um 7.49 and the ethyl acetate. Do you see anything yeah. there that's interesting or, or remarkable? It seems like every compound they have is pretty uh, it's pretty uh, constant throughout, except there seems to be less of s- stuff showing up in the, in the aqueous, like uh, chorinoxine. There's oh, none yeah, of that yeah. showing up. Uh, mm-hmm. and some of the other alkaloids and uh, compounds. So they did the, they tested a bunch of different variables in the extraction, and then they did the cytotoxicity by exposing the kidney and liver cells. Then they did the behavioral test with the tail flick and the hot plate. Um, and then they also included this analytical chemistry section at the bottom to just like um, perform a full characterization of the compounds that were in each of these extracts. And, and you're right, and I didn't really notice that at first, but regardless of the extract method, um, and oh wait, so this isn't the amount of this isn't the amount of uh, metragenine found in there. They're giving the retention time in minutes, so it okay. means that okay. um, seven minutes and forty four seconds in, the metragenine came out, and that oh, would make okay. sense because it's the same chemical compound. Okay, okay, that's okay. That's I learned something there. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly like I knew anything before, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting is they talk about ultrasonic assisted extraction, and uh, that that YouTube video that guy had like mm-hmm. an ultrasound thing. How does do you know anything about that? How does that work? It's just pretty yeah. interesting to me. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so essentially, it's it's like vibrating water at at really high frequencies. So it's at twenty kilohertz to two thousand kilohertz. Um, it's used in geology. It's also used a lot. Uh, maybe well, males and females may be familiar with this, but it's also used to clean jewelry. Um, oh and it's essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it essentially is a way to, you know, um, the frequency and the vibrations uh, get into like nooks and crannies and can shake off contamination or just like dirt on something um, really well. And in this case, the idea would be uh, instead of using pressure to force your solvent into the matrix that you're trying to extract from, you're essentially shaking it in there uh, with the ultrasonic assisted uh, extraction technique. We also use that in a cannabis lab just as a way to um, sanitize and, and clean uh, glassware and glass equipment, especially when you're doing analytical chemistry and you're, you know, you're running methanol, you're running ethanol through your machines or extraction machines. So, yeah, it's just um, it's it's definitely what that guy had in YouTube, too. They're not expensive to buy the little ultrasonic cleaners, um, you know. You might even be able to get them cheaper if you search for one for jewelry rather than in a, in a like chemistry lab or wet lab. Um, but at any way, yeah, I thought it was interesting that they essentially mentioned that because of the ultrasonic frequencies used, it could result in undesirable modification of the structure of the compounds. And I, you know, it makes sense, but I guess I had never really heard that from a, from a chemist saying like, you know, this is a big problem because if we use ultrasonic, it changes the compounds completely and, the, and their activity, and therefore we can't use it. I've never really heard that complaint before. Yeah, um, and I definitely, I definitely remember now because my wife takes her engagement ring to get clean like that. To like a, ju- a jeweler mm-hmm. will have them in the back, and that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll get one. But um, they talk about other me- methods, uh, socklet uh, and maceration. Um, it said would take uh, longer time to extract plant materials. Um, Soxlet, I assume that's a guy's name, S-O-X-H-L-E-T, involves high temperatures and extracting, which may cause degradation. That makes sense. Well, the Soxlet, too, like, you know, if you've ever seen in movies, like, glass apparatus in labs, there's a rotovap, which is classic, where it's like a big ball spinning in a water bath, generally at a tilt. And then a coil of wires where like things are condensing and then dripping down into a collection tube. And in some ways, the sock sled is the same. So it essentially like heats whatever you have in the bottom bulb and it starts evaporating. And as it goes up in through the glass, it reaches an area where there's cold water flowing around the outside of the glass, like a cold water sock. And so then it condenses that evaporation down into a collection test tube. And it, it's particularly this this method is particularly like well known and well used for extracting lipids from from plant materials. You know, and it has application. You know, I don't I don't know, I don't know if there's one industry on earth that hasn't like you know looked to using extracts from plants in some sort of industrial way. So it's certainly yeah. a you know historically significant and tried and true method to extract compounds from uh, from any matrix, but namely plants. So it says it can be generalized that ASE extracts are non-cytotoxic uh, towards the liver and kidney cell lines. Um, the results suggest that the synergistic interactions between af- active phytochemicals and kratom leaf extracts could decrease the toxic effect of alkaloids. Furthermore, reported that a high... It- 
that a high content of phenolics and extracts could support and increase cell survival in the HEK HEK 293 cell line. That's the kidney cell line. So it could support an increase in cell survival in kidneys, which is... uh, Is that in a certain context or just like in general, like it could promote... uh, cell growth or or survival in terms of like if you're taking these other alkaloids then then your kidneys will be protected they're saying that the synergistic actions between all of the active chemicals in kratom leaves decrease the toxic effects of the alkaloids Um, reported that high content of phenols and extracts could support an increased cell survival so the higher number of phenolics in the extracts makes it less toxic and um, uh, the phenolics are antioxidant and oxidation and oxidative compounds would lead to cell death as it would like rip apart the cell walls and so if these phenolics have antioxidant um, properties the more phenolics you include in a compound the less toxic they should be where we were talking earlier, like when it was the extracts, it was greater than 500 micrograms per milliliter. So high concentrations led to no cell death. But if you just have the metragenine in there, the metragenine, then there was some, there was like an IC50 where you, you started noticing decreased function in the, in the cells or death of the cells. And so I think that that demonstrates that including these phenolic uh, compounds or other plant alkaloids in the extract makes them safer than just using pure metragenine. So we're kind of getting into the entourage effect once again, which I kind of made a note for some other, um, another quote in here is like taking together the agonist antagonist synergistic interactions among alkaloids, flavanols, and other active constituents acting on multiple targets could have collectively exerted the antinociceptive effect. So even I mean that's that's completely different. That's talking about the pain uh, mm-hmm. relief in in mice, but um, so that's another. But uh, yeah, this uh, whole cell survivor thing kind of kind of uh, suggests that there's the entourage effect once again is better than just the uh, extracted mitragenine. Yeah, yeah, and you know they didn't have just pure mitragenine in the tail flick or the hot plate test. That's a, I scrolled up to see that because based on what they're suggesting um the extracts would have would be much more effective at increasing the latency than uh metragenine by itself is what they're suggesting um but it doesn't seem that they did that test at least not that i could see in the main paper maybe it was in supplemental i mean they really checked off all the possible interactions one could have antagonistic agonistic synergistic um but yeah all that is is uh sort of represented when we say uh the entourage effect and on this antineception part it said the um the ethanol leaf extract provides a better nociceptive relief in mice compared to the um ethyl acetate and and um, methanol extracts, despite their similar mitragenine content. Uh, This suggests the involvement of other bioactive phytochemicals besides mitragenine in the antinociceptive activity. Um, But that's only... So why do you think, uh, like, the ethanol extract uh, behaved differently than, than the other ones? If, if I had to guess, I would probably say that because ethanol is a much broader solvent, so like it probably pulled through 
more of those other um, phytochemicals like through into the extract. So it had like additional phenolics or additional flavonoids. Whereas like with methanol or with the ethyl acetate, they can, maybe they're a little bit more selective. I mean, broadly speaking, these are all, you know, very general solvents. You can get into solvents that like just pull out single, you know, families or or even just single compounds. Um, But you know, with how ethanol is used in industry, um, like in cannabis, for example, um, if you're growing hemp to make CBD, you're using ethanol to extract it because you basically just want to get down to the CBD or the other cannabinoids. And so broadly, you can just use ethanol to wash all of those compounds through and then evaporate the ethanol and, and you know, purify it that way. Versus like CO2 or butane are much more selective compounds when you're running it you're getting like the terpenes and the cannabinoids um on the first or second pull through the through the matrix and so yeah my guess would be is it's because ethanol is a a broader solvent that's pulling through more of those compounds so i asked people i told people we were going to do a a thing about extracts and i asked on twitter this is just not like at 10 30 so but uh drew turner commented and i always look to him for wisdom on just uh kratom in general and does anybody have any thoughts on extracts in general and he said extracts hold the most promise if standardized and they hold the most problems if not regulated well they will become the biggest issue and problem if a ban ever does happen extracts are kind of where you might fall into uh, an expensive habit the most promises you're get, you're going to get the uh, desired effects out of um out of something that's carefully extracted but uh if a mm-hmm. ban happens that that'll probably be the most like extracts will probably be the most likely thing that might be uh, uh adulterated with fentanyl uh kind of like we hear about heroin being adulterated with, with fentanyl you know, it's like essentially the analogy between smoking cannabis flower and doing dabs. And so if there, it doesn't really matter when it comes to this banning stuff, as you know, you know, it doesn't really matter what the uh, pharmacology of the situation is. Like if they perceive it as being stronger and you're taking it in a way that is a little, like if you're getting on a torch and now you're consuming cannabis with the torch, like it doesn't matter if it's the same compound. People just look at it like, you know, what are you doing? What is this hard drug you're doing? <laughs> um, and so he's right in that the extracts hold the most promise in that like if you're actually using it therapeutically, you're going to want to um, not consume uh, 10 grams of powder you're going to want to consume like a, you know, a smaller amount to get the same bang for your buck. And so in a therapeutic way and people that are using it to, to slide off opiates, using those extracts, uh, personally, I prefer the extracts over uh, the plant material. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. You can then it's stronger. It's easier to take. It's more expensive. So you could head down a more troublesome path um, if you're abusing it in that way. And of course the regulators aren't, they're just hearing the stories. They're not looking at the science. And if they, you know, this person took, you know, uh, six to 10 extracts in one day or something like that, and they got really sick and now their kid's sick and the mom's asking why the kid's sick or the dad. And they're saying, oh, well, you took these, I found all these extracts in his room. You know, it's sort of the same risk as vape cartridges or cannabis oil. Um, it doesn't necessarily make pharmaceutical sense, pharmacological sense to differentiate between the two. 
but socially there's a clear differentiation. And so I think that's the risk he's referring to. I think, I think he's, I think he's dead on it. And you're right too, in that um, there's much more risk of contamination through the manufacturing process of the extracts versus just like grinding and capsuling up the plant material. And I think society has a way of accepting natural medicine um, but it has to remain as a plant. Uh, it can't go into a liquid or something stronger. It's no longer natural at that point, even if the chemistry is, is identical. As it is now, you hardly know what kind of strength you're getting or what, which alkaloids are more abundant than the other. I mean, if you get a full spectrum extract, then, then that's good. But sometimes you might get one with like unnatural levels of 7-hydroxy. And Kratom has such a wide range of effects. And, you know, it's, you, know you might want one and not the other. And with a ban, you're never going to know. A, whether there's contaminants like chloroform or methanol in it, or or B, whether somebody wants to spike it with fentanyl to make their product stronger, or C, mm-hmm. if you're going to get more uh, 7-hydroxy or more uh, speciophylline <laughs> or uh, yeah. Yeah. anything else. So I think, yeah, regulation and, and keeping it legal is the way to go, especially, especially for Kratom, which is such like a... It's just such like a even the extracts are kind of dynamic and rather benign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, similar to caffeine. But you're right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like unintentional contamination where like part of your extraction solvents weren't fully evaporated. Like you should have spent an extra hour in the evaporation phase, but you wanted to get it out the door, so you cut it short, and now there's trace amounts of the potentially dangerous uh, solvents in there. But then there's also room for intentional contamination where they're trying to like either avoid Kratom altogether and just putting in, you know, we had that one that was a, a variant of tramadol um, yeah. or, you know, even more dangerous, yeah, something like fentanyl where they're, they're trying to cut costs yet have an effective product that people come back for. And, um, regulation is the best way to solve for both of those things um, especially with like good manufacturing practices and regulator inspections on the factory production line um, yeah deregulating or making anything illegal is going to lead to more of those problems because now there's no one checking and in fact you know they're off the grid they're they're underground now at this point so we don't even know where they exist and and they're certainly getting away with whatever they want at that point so um I, yeah i think the comment and response on twitter was dead on um i saw that he was involved in the in the documentary too so i thought it was cool that he uh he responded to us and threw that out there he's definitely right um mm-hmm. but i think we all agree that regulation is a far better approach than uh criminalization Thank you, Dr. Jonathan Cachet at Jay Cachet on social media. Thank you, Drew Turner, for the comment. Please leave comments of your own anywhere. Like and subscribe, comment, rate, review. It really helps us out. And thank you for your engagement, all those of you who leave regular comments. The Kratom Science Journal Club is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.